Hi everyone, this is episode three of season three and I have Matt Ram with me. Hi Matt. Hi Catherine. Today on this um, episode we're going to be focusing on mental health. We're going to be chatting about mental health underwriting, how the current insurance market is working and what we could maybe be doing to offer insurance to more people. So this is the Practical Protection Podcast. How's it going? Um, everything is going very, very well, thank you. I think last week was an absolute shocker of a week, so this week can only be brighter <laughs> and better. How is everything for you? Yeah, it's, it's, it's good. I think like uh, like everybody in, uh, well, in the world, let's be honest about it, it's not just the dear old UK is, uh, is uh, suffering in one way or the other, but uh, it, it gives me a chance to, to, to do other things. The things that uh, if life was more normal, uh, I just wouldn't get around to doing. So positive, positive all around. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Lots of positivity. So what I wanted to do, first of all, is just give a little bit of a background on some recent statistics and things that have been popping up when um, I've been looking at things in regards to mental health. And I think I think it's quite clear to to many people that mental health is a massive topic. It has been for the last few years, but I think it's really, really, even in this last year or so, even more so because, you know, we're talking so much about our children's mental health with everything that's going on. Um, in a sense, everybody's mental health, because we're in a situation that is very, very unique. Hopefully, touch wood will be over at some point this year and um, something that we don't necessarily have to obviously go through again. But um, it's, it's interesting. So I was looking on the Rethink Mental Illness website. And in that, they have the statistic, which I think has been quite standard for a while now, that about one in four people will experience a mental health condition each year within the UK. Something that surprised me a little bit, though, was because um, I was looking at the different conditions and I've had to look before, you know, how many sorry, the general suicide rates and depression rates. Yeah. yeah. But, but one thing that surprised me, actually, was that schizophrenia was one in every hundred people. Um, and, and yeah, I was going to say that just shocked me because I kind of think of it as a mental health condition, but I don't think of it as one that... I mean, to me, one in every hundred people actually seems like quite a lot of people, actually, um, when you think of the population um, in the UK. But the, the, the another thing that kind of like led on from that, that I was, um, again, I was sorry, looking through the, through the website and the different information was that um, they were saying that sort of like there was some recent conversations as well about suicide rates that have been increasing during lockdown. And I think something that's really unfortunate, and I got caught out by it actually on social media, there was a, a post that went out and um, probably the middle of last year that said basically, oh, there's evidence to say that suicide rates have significantly increased because of this lockdown and different things. And so I retweeted it and, you know, was obviously trying to give support to say, you know, we need to try and make sure that people are speaking to people that they have avenues to chat to um but the problem was actually that that post and I actually ended up having to warn other people as well because I was warned it had actually been written by anti-lockdowners and so you then had a lot of mental health charities and the people that they sort of said they got the statistics from then having to do disclaimers to say these statistics aren't from us that there's no evidence of this at the moment please you know stop sharing this this information which was obviously such a an incredibly sad thing to see, you know, that there was something yeah, with such a, a, such an important connotation to it. It kind of been hijacked for a, a reason that um, that really shouldn't ever be played about with. But I think I so I, so I, did, I did a little bit more looking into it. And there was actually a recent publication by the British uh, Medical Journal, and it showed that suicidal thoughts have actually increased within the younger generations, um, sorry, recently. So it was just about just over 14% of 18 to 29 year olds had felt suicidal in their response group and 26% of the people had felt moderate to severe depression. And I know that that's sort of like one sample group that they have. But what was interesting is that if you then kind of combine that, or at least not necessarily combine this, I'm not going to sort of like pretend that I know how to combine this kind of data or anything like that. But yeah, with the Samaritans, um, they had done a study and they showed that Samaritans in the first six months of social distancing, they'd experienced 1.2 million calls for support. And one in four of those were experiencing suicidal thoughts or behaviours. So if you look at it, that's 300,000 people in the first six months alone, just going to Samaritans, not going to other routes, that were having suicidal thoughts or behaviours. Now, obviously, that's, that's an incredibly, to me, that's an incredibly shocking um, amount of people in the sense of, you know, this is something that really does need to be addressed. People, you know, we need to be aware of this. But when we, we sort of take that back to the insurance side of things, you know, and it's like looking, it's like seeing those younger generations who've had, you know, the suicidal thoughts, moderate, severe depression. There's a massive sort of like um, uh, 
sorry, want in our industry to sort of like get millennials to get insurance, to want to have insurance, to want to engage. And we're showing there that potentially a quarter of that group have had moderate to severe depression recently. You know, 14% have had suicidal thoughts or behaviours. And then you've got 300,000 people purely within the first six months of lockdown solely going to Samaritans having suicidal thoughts or behaviours. And I think that that's just, that's a massive amount of, people who are potentially going to be wanting to get insurance at some point that we're going to have to say right okay how do we engage people in the best way possible and make sure that they get the best terms and, and I know that's kind of like leaving sort of like a really open debate there Matt but what, what's yeah. kind of your thoughts on all that? My, my first thought is uh, it's an extremely sad set of, uh, of data that you've been talking about there Catherine um, we are going through some uh, pretty bad times, to say the least. I think in terms of where I would come from or my speciality, which obviously is the underwriting um, insurance side, I think that the, the classifications, I think we'll go on to my concerns about uh, classifications of, of mental health issues, mm. but uh, underwriting generally based on medical some medical data is that people who have a, um, a reaction um, that could be classed as a mental health issue to a given situation um, come out of the generally speaking I would have to say and that's this is not to belittle the the the, the situation that people find themselves in whatsoever it's very very important but people who have a reaction to a given situation like um, lockdown um, and everything that goes with lockdown um, come out of the other, the other side in, uh, with, with good mental health. Yeah. Um, and therefore, from an insurance perspective, um, one-off reaction to a, uh, an extreme situation like lockdown and let's be honest it is an extreme situation particularly for youngsters I think um, then there should be no re repercussions for for life insurance um, I'll probably leave it at that because I think when when, when we when we get um, into su suicidal uh, thoughts or suicidal idea ideation um, whether those ever get disclosed or not mm. um, is another point. Um, yeah, I think that's it's a really interesting point as well. It's something that I've discussed before. I think you know, potentially some panels and that that have been yeah, and, sure, and sure. is is that kind of thing. And I'm like, what is a suicidal thought? And I have had you yeah, know, other absolutely. people have said you know, and I do agree that they kind of say you know, insurers aren't the thought police. And I know that's really hard, but it's kind of a case of, well, but what is a suicidal thought? Where do you classify it? So, you know, is it a case of, because people individually will classify it differently, you know. Absolutely. Is a Absolutely. suicidal thought, you know, sort of like, um, I don't know, being stood at a train station and having remembered that somebody has maybe, or on a film or something, somebody had decided to obviously hurt themselves by, you know, jumping in front of a train. Is that you stood there thinking, oh, I, oh, I couldn't do that. You know, is that a suicidal thought? Because you've thought about it. You are thinking about suicide. You're thinking about whether or not you could do it. You've decided no. But some people may even class that as a suicidal thought. And it's kind of like, well, is that fair? Because in, in some ways, that's just people processing information that they've been, you know, we're so bombarded with different information. The amount of Netflix series and different shows now that talk about this it's quite hard not to think about it or to see it and think, oh, I couldn't do it that way. Or if I was going to do it that way, it wouldn't be that way. Or to even know of people who've done it and to think about potentially sometimes, you know, potentially really sort of like think about what emotional state they must have been in to try and sort of think, wow, you know, could I have been in that emotional state at some point? Could, if, if I had something where I would have maybe, you know, could I have done something to help them and, you know, and trying to like really empathize with that person and, and try and understand what they've been through? Or is it more sort of a case of, right, you know, um, Friday night, that's it. I've got these things ready. That's how I'm going to do it. I'm set, you know, set on it. And it's, it's kind of like, where do we draw the line of what a suicidal thought is? And how do we make that 
an easy thing for somebody to disclose because that's that's really hard to actually say to someone because some people will say well I thought about it after watching that TV show. So I have, I need to say yes to this. But then other people may think, well, they've maybe even had a, maybe even a stronger one, but think, well, no, that wasn't it because I didn't actually like plan it. It's, it's quite a hard debate. <laughs> Absolutely, Catherine. You, you've, you've hit the nail on the head um, completely here. One of the challenges that is, bear in mind that underwriters work with doctors very closely yeah um in in looking at risk um you hit the nail on the head in terms of how the medical profession and underwriters actually classify something a a a a mental health event you're absolutely right you just highlighted it you know if if you if you went along to let's say a gp and you said well i see on Netflix, there was um, some something about suicide or somebody committed suicide, and I thought, oh, I wonder what would happen if I was in that situation. Yeah. And I don't think a doctor. I would hope. And I'm speaking as an underwriter and not a clinician, by the way. Yeah, of course. A doctor would not think that, in itself, was a precursor of a of of, of a mental health issue. Yeah. Somebody who had planned. I think they would, yeah, and 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 advise accordingly. Um, I think if every if you had a hundred people sat down in a room, then some of the some uh, and, and they were um, completely honest about their mental health, then I would suspect that some of the data that you have mentioned already it would be it would be spot on. Yeah. Um, but not from an underwriting perspective and a medical perspective, um, all things being equal, by the way, yeah. um, the, the mere thought, fleeting thought um, of, of committing suicide would not be an issue to, yeah. for, for an underwriter um, without, without a shadow of a doubt. What an underwriter would be more, in, more uh, focused in on is whether that was a a fleeting episode or a number of fleeting episodes let's be honest with you um and the circumstances in which the uh, event took place yeah um it's quite hard isn't it though as well because obviously it's you know, very hard so it's the classification thereof yeah. and of course sorry Catherine I know you're probably no, going course. to say something then but you know it, it's very difficult it's very difficult for GPs who are often obviously on the front line here yes or mental health nurses, for that matter, to actually classify a situation. And I know there's the the, the GP um, International Classification of Disease ICD-10, yeah, um, which which is used uh, very commonly. But even that is pretty vague. I don't yeah. know. I don't know if, uh, if if you've ever come across it. Seen it? Seen it uh, on the? Seen I've not the come across that on, one on the um, on the internet or anything like that. But it's it's. It's very difficult, and, I've, and my experience of talking to doctors about it is it is very general. Yeah, and and it's there really just to give them a guide of the next steps. And but where I'm kind of leading to ultimately here, particularly in the the, the timeframes that we're working to, mm. is that the best person to give you the information. I don't say give you the information, the people who are making the risk management decision the information mm. is to talk to the individual directly. Yeah. GPRs only give a, a, a an overall big picture of a circumstance. Psychiatry, if, if the case goes to a psychiatrist or a psychologist, you might like very likely get a, a much more detailed report. Yeah. But again, it will still be a synopsis of what that patient said over an hour. Yeah. And really, the, the absolutely key person here is the individual and talking to that individual. That is not an easy conversation you've said yourself. No, it's you, not. You guys at the front end, um, and me having done many telephone interviews, telephone conversations regarding um, these medical questions myself, but you guys are the absolute experts on that. It is not yeah. a difficult, it is a very, sorry, it is a very difficult conversation to elicit. But it's, it's interesting in that, and I know something that we touched on um, historically, in that people who are very well adjusted um, to 
the mental disorder. Yeah. You know, let's let's be fair. People are very very adjusted adjusted to physical disorders as well. And why should yeah. why should people differentiate between a physical disorder and a mental health disorder? Let's be honest. Um, people who are very well adjusted and have got their support mechanisms sorted out quite are, are pretty are quite often very open to discussing these things. Yeah. Uh, absolutely I, th- I think something is all just picking up on and that's key that's yeah. absolutely key something that obviously you, you were just like saying that it's like stands out for me as well is that you know obviously it's very very happily underwriter but I think as well it's very very hard for the advisor I know we said that but it's, it's not just a discussion for the advisor as well it's the risk as well as an advisor because you know we've had it before and I've, I've certainly had it where somebody I've been chatting to them it's like you say have you ever any suicidal thoughts and they'll go oh well I thought this but what do you think do we say yes or no now, that's really hard as an advisor because you're just like, well, I'm not a medical professional, so I can't determine that. I can't determine what's in the GP reports. And obviously, if I get it wrong, um, and if I say that wrong, then that could be me doing a non-disclosure. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, obviously, that's the compliance risk. You know, there's well, obviously yeah. lots and lots of risk. Um so it's very, very hard. So I think, again, you know, it's kind of, whereas the underwriter errs on the side of caution, I think advisors then also probably err yeah. on the side of caution in the case of like, well, I can't, if I'm told something and it is in the question set. So I think that's probably where, you know, it'd be really useful to, you know, at some point, and I don't know how it would happen, but for there to be some kind of like understanding or um, development of understanding between advisors, underwriters, actuaries, everybody, if so, like as to what actually what do they want to know when, in a sense, when it comes to a suicide? I thought, what does that yeah. I, actually I, mean? Because it's feel, it's so hard. I feel quite strongly on this point, actually, Catherine. I, um, I am completely averse to when in doubt, say out. Completely yeah. against that. Yeah. I think I know it was a, a, an example, um, you know, that, that you've mentioned. Um, but if somebody says they've, they've had a suicidal thought and that's a direct answer to a direct question, yeah. the answer is yes. Exactly. Um, it it's, it yeah. must be yes. What I find, um, and, you know, I have had this challenge myself, by the way, um, yeah. but not on the same scale as, as you and your team. Um, what's... If that person has, so, so one of your team, if they have the skills and they feel comfortable themselves and they've got the support networks themselves to delve a little bit deeper into yeah. that disclosure, um, then um, I would say try to. Yeah. If they've got the skills, etc., cetera, um, and explain it more when you submit the app. Now, Absolutely. My, my, my next challenge uh, to the industry is electronic applications do not lend themselves to mental illness case mental challenges cases mental health challenges yeah. whatsoever because they are not tick box um at all yeah. and you know on uh, asking questions um which are, which are typically seen i think when i read the other day when i was when i was thinking about our, our podcast this morning was have so straight question have you ever attempted suicide taken an overdose self-harmed or had any suicidal thoughts yeah so so that is a straight question no build-up no no uh, explanatory information no anything yeah what does that that is completely lacking in empathy yeah uh, support what about the poor old client who who um has, has just been asked that question yeah. shock yeah. horror i'm not going to say anything i'm not going to buy life insurance we have to change the, the way that we engage on those types of questions. And let's be honest about it. I, honest being the key word, I suppose. Yeah. How many people in a state of shock, these are the these are the people who are buying the insurance, except shock, will just say no. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or not feel comfortable because you say it's, it's so to, impersonal. We have to change the way that we ask about mental health and... That in itself we need to do, but secondly, automated systems just do not lend themselves, and I'm a huge believer in that, yeah. um, to, to A, asking the question in a very cold way, but two, actually eliciting the answer, which would actually be, actually be useful to the underwriter in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> and an underwriter can only really make a judgment based on the information that they've got. If they're given a cold, hard yes or, or um, you know, 
they, they, they need more than that to be able to give the client the, uh, a, a fair hearing, if, I, if that's the right expression to use. Yeah, I think so, as, uh, there was that, another that thing as well. Yeah, I, I think, you know, um, interesting as well. I think I may have said this example before, but, you know, we've had it before where somebody has wanted insurance and they've got IBS. So that's yeah. irritable bowel syndrome. Yeah. And then sometimes yeah. it'll say, is this linked to anxiety? And you have to say, sometimes you have to say yes. And then immediately you're just like, right, so have you ever been an inpatient? Have you ever seen a community mental health team, a psychiatrist? Have you ever self-harmed? It's just, and you suddenly have to go into these questions and it's just like, this person has IBS, you know? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> with a bit yeah. of a, you know, if they feel a bit anxious, the stomach plays up a little bit more. And you just kind of like, this feels quite excessive. Um, and you know I, I can understand it to an extent but it does feel excessive but I think what's interesting as well before going to the next question is, is you know just a couple other things to pick up there so I know you were saying about like with training and different things and, and what's interesting is that uh, myself and Alan did mental health first aid training with um, MHFA England and what was interesting about that was when we did the sessions is that pretty much you know if somebody gives you any kind of an inkling whatsoever that there's maybe you know sort of like a that they're not feeling okay or something you have to assume almost assume the worst in a sense and start you know being really really supportive and making sure they're okay they've got support systems trying to establish if they've maybe had the suicidal thoughts and I always felt that when um, and obviously it was brilliant training and absolutely follow it um, completely but I found it quite weird because it was in a sense of you know in that kind of a, a mindset it was a case of, right, you know, anything and everything could potentially lead to this person not being well, and we need to try and intervene and make sure, you know, potentially just a very light intervention or stronger intervention to make sure that they're okay. But then obviously with insurance, it's kind of a case of when we're looking at it, it's sort of like, well, is a suicide, you know, in that case, we started saying, is a suicidal thought a suicidal thought? But then when you, it, it, it kind of didn't marry up in a sense as to what in my head was working, because, you know, to me, a suicidal thought sometimes isn't, necessarily an actual thing where somebody is maybe yeah. wanting to to actually actively think of hurting themselves they could just be thinking about the concept yeah um and then but then in the other and, and it just yeah it just seems quite unusual the way that it all kind of I, I couldn't sort of figure out how to make the two of them mix together in my mind for a little bit you know I had to very much be a sort of like a I mean and I say I, I really don't know how advisors are meant to kind of understand and explain that to people and another thing that that was it that just really popped into my mind as well is that I I'm very much dislike and I'm sure there'll be reasons and I'm again as always I'm more than happy for underwriters actuaries to tell me and discuss this with me obviously completely in private but I, I don't understand why with some insurers suicidal thoughts are rated the same as an actual suicide attempt um that really doesn't sit well with me because if you are somebody who has mental health, having a thought compared to actively doing something, it's, that's a massive difference. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a massive, massive difference. You know, it's kind of a, you know, you, you, it's that kind of, yeah. you, you're basically saying to somebody, well, you've had a thought. So in all, in all fairness, you know, it's actually just as, just as intense as if you'd actually had an attempt and there's actually it's really not it's, it's it's a completely different situation and and I kind of feel that that really should be addressed you know and you know it, it's not every insurer that does that so the ones who are doing that I just I just personally really feel that that should be something that is looked at a bit further. I, I would agree it goes back to my point Catherine I think that I made earlier in in that you need to ask sorry somebody somewhere in the risk management process needs to ask a little bit more about that suicidal thought yeah I suggest I would think and by the way I certainly would not be an advocate of treating the two the same by the yeah. way from a personal level yeah um as I, I say with an underwriting hat on personal level yeah that that's where we need to understand more around the suicidal thought um absolutely what 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 was the background to the suicidal thought uh, or thoughts uh, um, and that includes a raft of things as in the potentially the age of the individual um, mm. the the social environment that, that they were working in the whether there were any physical 
reasons why they suddenly felt that. Maybe they had a physical disability that made them, made them feel alone and lonely and, and um, not be able to face the world. Yeah. Um, or was it just something, as you've alluded to earlier on, you, 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 you watched a programme where suicide has occurred and you thought, oh, yeah, you know, that's an interesting, if I can use that expression, um, yeah. way forward. Um, it, it, it goes back to asking the questions and getting more into what that suicidal thought was all about. Now, yeah. of course, you get into the challenge of, is that person, the advisor in this circumstance, um, equipped with the right questioning techniques, if I can be cold about the fact, yeah. and, and, and interaction with that particular client. Um, and I, I feel pretty certain that, that most advisors won't be. You've said it yourself, I think. I hope I haven't. No, there's <laughs> not heard. enough training. There's not and a lot of training for advisors. Absolutely. absolutely. And, and go, yeah. it's, it's a very difficult area to, to get into. And, you know, to an extent, I think you'll probably find that some insurers will say, well, we're not putting our people through. You know, they're not going to do it. The underwriters aren't yeah. going to do it because it can trigger all types of uh, problems. And therefore, we're going to assume the worst. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a very difficult one from an insurance perspective to, 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 to get into asking more information, but more information would actually make things a lot better. Absolutely. And I think as well, how, it, we, how we, sorry, Catherine, just to no, interrupt that, just, yeah. just for a second. It's, it's how we can move as an industry towards those types of conversations. Maybe, maybe it would require specialist mental health nurses to have those conversations, people who are trained, um, I, I don't know, but it's something that we certainly need to, to, to think about. Um, we certainly do not want to, um, uh, for, a, for the, our, our, you know, our, our children, um, my children maybe, rather than yours at the moment, yeah. but your children in the future, to be uh, denied life insurance or any type of protection insurance for that matter mm. because of this, um, because of, uh, let's say, using a current example having a a very understandable reaction to being locked down yeah absolutely no people we, we need to move forward on those types of things and it's an example being locked down is an example of many things yeah no, no, no. I had a random kind of offshoot thought. I don't know why, but I was thinking of Romeo and Juliet earlier, so the Shakespeare play. I was thinking yeah. it's not even just Netflix, is it? You could read a play like that and get to the end and think, and obviously read about Juliet and think, ooh, no, not doing that. But again, it's kind of like, yeah, still that thing of like kind of having a thought. But it, what you were just saying there, though, just led us perfectly into the next one. So, what I was going to say, so at the moment with a lot of um, insurance questions, and I'm not saying that these questions are necessarily, you know, going to make mean that people are declined or severely rated or anything like that for their life insurance. But my thought is one of the questions I have is that can we really expect anybody to truthfully be able to answer no right now to have you experienced anxiety in the last three years? And I think for me, it's it's not that, as I say, I, I know that someone may have anxiety and, you know, that's, it could still go through a standard. But yeah, yeah, to me, yeah. exactly. But to me, at the moment, it's kind of like a defunct question because surely everyone's going to say yes to that. And if people aren't saying yes, if they're doing applications now and they're saying they're not being anxious, I, <laughs> I think yeah. I, I find it very hard to think of anybody in lockdown. I don't think there's anybody I know in lockdown that hasn't experienced some form of something that would be classed as anxiety because anxiety is a normal, healthy reaction. And if people aren't anxious by the fact that we're locked inside, that we're doing homeschooling, that, you know, there's difficulty sometimes maybe trying to get to the shops to get food, you know, relatives who are maybe ill or friends who have, you know, suddenly got COVID. There is so much going on. And again, it comes down to that question of what, you know, whereas we say, sorry, what is a suicidal thought? It's like, what is anxiety that is actually a concern to insurers? You know, is it, you know, anxiety that's required, you know, maybe a bit of intervention as to GP? Um, is it, you know, um, just any anxiety? You know, but again, if, if it is a case of any anxiety, then at the moment, this question should just automatically be ticked yes to everybody in every application for at least the next year or so. That's my opinion. That's probably a bit extreme, but... <laughs> Not at all. It's a classification of anxiety. It, yeah. it goes back to your point about suicidal thought, really. 
Um, you're absolutely right. Stress is a classic, another classic there. Um, yeah. if, if people aren't to know to, to stress, then I'm sorry. <laughs> that cold question, by the yeah. way, and interpreted in no other different way apart, apart from the question is, have you ever suffered from stress or anxiety? Uh, frankly, I would think the whole population yeah. would say yes. Um, in one way or another, it doesn't have to be down to lockdown. It could be because you, you're late for yeah. uh, taking the kids to school or one of the, you know, whatever. It can be a whole yeah. variety of things. And you, you're absolutely right. Handled in the right way, both of those things, uh, or certainly stress, um, absolutely no problem at all. With anxiety, again, it's around what constitutes anxiety and trying to better understand what the client uh, means or is, is it, or, or what their definition in your own head of yeah. anxiety action is. Anxiety in its own right, um, an anxious person, so you're talking that they are anxious on, you know, uh, on a number of occasions during the week or during the month, mm. um, and as long as it doesn't lead to depression, yeah, um, then an, uh, an underwriter, an insurer will, will not have any problem with it, as long as they can understand what the anxiety, what classification is being used for anxiety. Yeah, Anxiety, 99 times, well, no, a good 90% of the time, um, it would just go through on the nod. In other words, it yeah. goes through the standard without any, any, any further questions. What an underwriter is obviously concerned about is whether that anxiety moves into something else, yeah. as in as in the you know, you know the, the so-called various depression, um, I say syndromes, depression, yeah. um, and then they would be a little bit more concerned about that, and then you get into mild, moderate, severe depression. Um, and then an underwriter um, will, will be uh, looking at those cases more, uh, a little bit more to see whether there are any uh, any, any risk factors. No, no two ways about it. Absolutely, and I think that you're I, don't, getting... I don't know if that helps. But I think you know there's a there's a message here, Catherine. What yeah. I'm hearing is, is the classification of some of these terms because yeah. in modern now maybe 50 years ago. <laughs> When uh, some of these books were, one of the actuaries and so on and so forth, and, and the underwriting books were written, the meaning of anxiety and depression and stress, I'm not even sure stress was a word 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, they, are, they are banded around in modern parlance an awful lot, and they can mean so many different things. We, yeah. we, we as modern underwriters, have got, it's a difficult, and, and GPs as well, mental health nurses. Yeah. It, when somebody says about anxiety, quite what is the background to that? What are we actually talking about? Yeah. Can I just take, I, I know I'm probably wishing on as I normally no, do. No, no, no. Can I just take, take a, just a, um, the redundant question point um, yeah. that you made? And I think you've got a good point. Somebody who doesn't, who um, uh, everybody <laughs> is likely to be able to answer yes, and the insurance buying population anyway. Um, and... The, the, the challenge we've got as underwriters is 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 uh, continually chopping, changing the questions on an yeah. electric electronic format. That is actually easier than doing it in the paper format, by the way. Yeah, but well, it's still it's still it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be something that needs a lot of research. Overnight. And of course, when are this thing when this when all this passes by? Hopefully, mm. people will still get stressed and still have anxiety. Then, when do you put the question back in? If indeed you ever put it back in, yeah, no, I think it's, either either which way, you know, it, it, and it's, it's a kind of a very much a sideline, I think, to, our, to the to the debate that we're having. But yeah. changes to forms, which is another another podcast. Yeah, yeah, of course, <laughs> is, is not is not yeah. straightforward. Anyway, I'm sorry. I I, no, no, no. I mean, I definitely think there's a place to ask the question in the in the application you know I, th I think it is you know obviously it's you know insurers do need to know about somebody's mental health I just for me I think it's just that kind of blanket generalization of but I've, I've said this way before lockdown anyway you know have you ever had anxiety or have you had anxiety in the last few years it's you know I, I just think it's so broad yeah. that, and I think it's so interpretable that I think there'll be people who say yes to it who maybe don't need to and I think there'll be a lot of people who say no to it who probably should say yes so I actually yeah. don't think that it's gathering the data the and, and gathering the information as, as it stands, you know, and, and I'm not saying to necessarily remove it, but I just think it needs adapting. But it all moves on again, though, to sort of like the next bit of sort of like what can we distinguish 
it's kind of like perfectly normal mental health. And I say that with little bunny ears around the perfectly normal type thing. Yeah, um, reaction to lockdown, um, you know, when somebody already has a mental health condition. So as an example, you know, I've been helping somebody, they have bipolar disorder. They felt unsettled during lockdown. They've seen a GP because um, they have been feeling a bit anxious. You know, obviously we're in, you know, we're in very, very difficult times. Their work means that they have to still go out and they've had to still go out during the entire time um, to be able to do their job. And, um, and you know, so they've in a sense had to also be facing going out and putting themselves at risk due to COVID and everything. And so they went and started on a, a sort of like a mild antidepressant. And that was kind of seen as, as almost a bit of a negative by the insurer because it was case oh well it's a flare-up of the bipolar and it's a case of no it's actually a perfectly normal reactive feeling to lockdown there are a lot of people who you know if, if, if I had an application for somebody and somebody had come to me and said you know right okay well before lockdown I've had nothing with my mental health but I've been feeling really anxious I've gone to the GP and I've started you know I'm on 20 milligrams of citalopram and it's actually made me feel really good you know, that will go straight through online for an insurance application. It'd be um, instant cover, probably standard rates with quite a lot of insurers. Yep. But for somebody yep. who already has a mental health condition, who is proactively taking that step, probably, I imagine there's a lot more people who have a mental health condition who are proactively speaking to people because yep. they recognize symptoms. I imagine t- to me, again, I'm not obviously medical professional that don't have all the actual data and underwriting history behind me but I imagine that is probably less of a risk insurance wise than somebody who is suddenly experiencing quite marked anxiety and depression has no idea what they're feeling and experiencing and is just trying to keep battling on nine months down the line um, without seeking anybody anybody kind of support so I I think that's an extra thing sort of like to maybe having consideration as you said you know it's, it comes back to that again not seeing it as black and white forms you know to, to make sure that we're capturing all those gray areas so that we're able to say and sort of like speak to underwriters um who can then obviously in turn maybe speak to to different people to sort of get that second opinion to say you know is this person you know is this actually a flare-up of their existing mental health or is this actually positive a, a positive step that they have taken they're yeah. actually proactively managing their health they're taking steps and and in many ways you know you know we shouldn't penalize people who already have mental health conditions because of being reactive and proactive to a, a global pandemic that most people well many people are already feeling unsettled by I think that probably goes back to what you've been saying as well as say about that individualization yeah I, I can't I, I can't disagree with you whatsoever, and I certainly won't disagree with everything you just said there. The, uh, somebody should not be penalised for seeking help yeah. whatsoever. Um, people who, in, in my limited experience um, of talking to people with mental health issues, Although, of course, as, as you know, Catherine, you know, I've uh, suffered from depression for 30 years myself, but uh, luckily very stabilised on, um, on, um, on antidepressants. I'm on, on a very lucky man from that perspective. But talking to people, um, the people that can talk, the people that proactively seek help um, are far better risks than people who bottle it up. Yeah. And... Uh, Again, this is where the underwriting actuario, the, the, the studies themselves, which are often years and years, um, they're out of date, let me put it that yeah. way, or the numbers are too small to make a, uh, an actuario medico decision. Um, the, they are not seeing the positive impact of all the help that is available to people these days. Um, and all the... You have to take, you have to, obviously, a person who suffers from depression has to ask for help in the first place. Yeah. That's positive. Yes. How many, you know, sadly over the years I've seen, I've seen, certainly seen suicide claims. Mm. Um, Very, very, very sad. Um, In fact, I've seen a number, quite a number of suicide claims. And one of the features that comes out of those claims is that they had no history at all in terms of seeing a GP. Yeah. And suddenly they, they've, they've, they've done, you know, they've killed themselves. Yeah. That person, potentially you can draw a parallel, but that person never sought any help. 
Yes. People who ask for help and get help, and there is so much help, I'd probably be um, put in jail by many people out there. But I think there, there seems to be an awful lot of help out there yeah. um, that people are taking up from the statistics. Um, and, and that will change the data which yeah. underwriters and actuaries use in order to come up with the way that they deal with mental health cases. It, this really, I think, is it, the, the one great thing, I say great thing that's come out of lockdown, that, that's potentially a dark thing mm. to say, but the so many uh, organisations are now really coming to the forefront yeah. A lot of uh, a lot of a lot on the group risk side, uh, fantastic. Um, all in, I think the majority, you'll know better than me, of individual insurers now offer some form of support program yes. behind their plans. Now this this wasn't around ten years ago in, yeah. its, in, in, in the way that it is now. Certainly they were around, but not to the extent they are right now. And that positive type of thing will work its through work its through sorry work its way through to the data which the underwriters and the actuaries use. So again, I'm going on a little bit, but what I'm trying to say is I completely support the fact that if people ask for help, let's see that as a positive thing. Yeah, because I think, yeah. Not negative. I was gonna say, because I think as well, we have to be careful not to give the impression that um, if people are seeking help, that that will be adverse to their insurance. You know, we, we wouldn't want anyone to ever, have that kind of thought process to think, well, actually, if I don't go and, see, you know, I'm feeling a bit, mm, but I'm not going to go see my doctor because if I don't, then it actually for the next, you know, if I don't for the next year or two, then I may get better insurance, you know. We, we need to make sure that that's not the kind of impression that's being given out and that actually, you know, there is sort of a, a very positive output to people and to charities and to the general public to say, you know, if you have been speaking to a GP or anybody that's you know we actually feel that that's a very supportive and um proactive stance to take and you know and that's not going to be you know that that in itself isn't going to be something where you know you're going to be penalized by but um coming on to the case study that I have I do like to provide a case study where I can especially for advisors and uh, maybe for I don't know for underwriters if they want to hear what's well possibly see what we're able to to arrange and see if it's comparable to what they're able to offer um so I do have a case study um just to sort of finish off the podcast so I have a male in his early 30s and he's a smoker so obviously any premiums that I'm discussing will be bit higher than what we would usually expect because there's obviously the smoker aspect to it but he'd had some depression in his teenage years and he'd had three suicide attempts and shortly after was diagnosed with bipolar disorder now that's something that we see quite regularly um for people i'm, I'm not saying that's everybody with bipolar disorder but for people who speak to us it is something that's quite a sort of like a, a regular feature is the fact that they'll have had attempts before they actually get that diagnosis but then once they've had the diagnosis and they're medicated and they're monitored their their health obviously significantly improves and they actually are you know absolutely fine in many ways so I say this person so about half of his life ago had had some attempts and had this diagnosis and he's had a bit of a relapse about seven years before we did the application I mean it's sort of like similar to what we've been speaking about he felt a bit unsettled just felt unsure he'd had some thoughts and so he'd checked himself into hospital and just said I'd rather you know just make sure that I'm okay and and obviously so took a very proactive stance there um but he'd not been under any kind of monitoring or follow-up for quite a few years and when we'd done the application, actually within that year, he'd actually had some time off work um, and it was due to being overworked, basically. So I think it was kind of like a mixture of mental health and physical health in some ways. And that the GP just said, you are being completely overworked. Um, you need some time off and I'm signing you off, which, you know, I think is a very sensible reaction. Yeah. And the, the job was eventually altered slightly so that it was so obviously that yep. wasn't happening and I think again it's that back to that thing of anybody who's being overworked and I think we're probably going to see this a lot for people in lockdown I'm I you know not in this situation but obviously in September I actually um, became quite ill with being with overworking and that it, it's a full combination of physical and mental health you can't really distinguish them but anyway going Absolutely. back to this person um this person's full-time worker had a family had a mortgage so 
Um, talk about the life insurance first. So the first thing we were doing was uh, decreasing life insurance to cover the mortgage. And we ended up with £148,000 of the cover over 22 years for around £32 per month. Now, usually, um, well, with, with some insurers, um, we would usually see um, after there being three attempts that this would be an automatic decline for life insurance, um, regardless of, of when it had happened during the, the time, sorry, the, the life and how close and recent it had been. I mean, some insurers, it, it can be different, you know, so some of them only ask within a certain period of time. Some of them will be okay, not okay, but some of them will be more open to chatting if it was all, um, if it all happened around one particular time and was very reactive to a certain event. Um, but obviously, we, at this point, we spoke to this insurer and we talked about how it was pre-diagnosis of the condition and obviously how long it had been since that had happened. We're talking at least 15, it was probably about 18 years at that point, um, and how often obviously they'd been very self-aware, and, and they were actually ended up being able to offer this insurance, as I say, at the £32 per month. Um, it was at a rated premium, but it was um, the, a very good option for the client when you looked at the market. Um, the other thing that we did was some income protection, and um, I think this is a very topical one because I know income protection, as always, is getting is really being shouted from the houses um, and from the rooftops at the moment. Um, so for this person um, to cover what they needed, obviously, for, for their um, salary and everything, we were able to do a £1,200 per month benefit with a 13 week deferment. Um, it was running to age 70. It was a maximum five-year claim period for every claimable event. Um, there was a mental health exclusion on the policy, and that came in at £14 per month. Um, now, what I think is really interesting about that is especially the approach that you maybe take as an advisor. Now, what we tend to find, and we often find with people with mental health conditions, the majority of people with mental health conditions when we speak to them, so I'm not saying everybody, because we have had people say that they don't like the exclusion, and, and I don't want to say that anybody likes the exclusion, um, but um, the majority of people that we speak to with a mental health condition will turn around and say to us, when we mention this kind of a mental health exclusion, the income protection side of things, they'll say, I've never stopped, I've never had a day off work because of my mental health, so I'm, I don't mind. You know, I, I want to have that, you know, this is covering anything. This is covering me broken yeah. neck, cancer, anything. I've never had a day off work for my mental health. So it's, it, you know, obviously I'd rather it not be there, but I, you know, I, I don't see me being off work. You know, this person, obviously they've been working by that point. I'd say it'd been a good, probably 10 to 15 years full-time work. Um, and, you know, they've had that month off for kind of a combination reason. Um but yeah, I, I think it's it's worthwhile exploring. For advisors, I just want to say it's worthwhile exploring. Um, you know, it's, it's worthwhile, even if you think there's an exclusion there, it's trying to tell people about the amount of positives that it would cover rather than focusing on, obviously you must make them very, very aware of the exclusion. Um, but don't automatically assume that it's going to be something that they see as a negative. Some people will do um, and they may not want it, which obviously then you have to look at other approaches. Um, but it is worth having it there. And, and the other thing I want to say is for any, obviously, underwriters who might be listening or actuaries, anybody, um, you know, if that's diff very different to what you guys are offering, um, then, you know, as always, you know, assuming, obviously, well, not assuming, but definitely being careful to data protection, um, more than happy to chat through some situations that maybe other insurers are offering without, again, going into competition laws or anything, but being very, very careful about what's on offer and what we can and can't all discuss. Uh, more than happy to, to chat through those and see if it's something that could potentially um, become an offering to more people. It's, it's an excellent example, Catherine, and, uh, uh, you know, more, more power to, to your elbow and the, and the team as well for, for getting the, the protection cover in particular um, through with an underwriter, uh, with an insurer. There, there'll be many insurers out there, I think, given the history that would, um, wouldn't, wouldn't be able to give cover. So, so yeah. really is an, an excellent example. So yeah, great. I'm, re I'm really pleased as um, uh, as an industry person, if you like, um, and an underwriter that you that, that somebody somewhere gave gave that chap cover. Great, well done. It was it was a really really obviously brilliant to to get that for them. Absolutely. So we we are at the end of the episode, Matt. Is there anything that you would like to um, include at all, or have we covered everything? Do you think? I'm not sure if we've covered everything, you know, I think we could be here for, for the whole day. <laughs> <laughs> it is such a, um, such a large topic, but extremely topical. And, um, you know, I, I, what I would say, 
I think it probably builds on on the case study you've just given is please anybody out there, um, anybody who is thinking of buying insurance who may be out there or any advisor that's thinking out there, if, if somebody has a history of uh, mental illness, please don't assume that the insurer will just say no. Go to an IFA, go to the uh, go to Cura, and you will get a, a, a great view on what can be achieved. Please don't assume that the insurers will say no, because often I think you'll be you'll be surprised with um, a positive result. Secondly, um, what I would say is, and uh, I hope you don't think this is a plug, Catherine, but it's yeah, not a plug for me, I might add, but. Um, two of the most insightful articles, very short articles that I've seen on um, risk assessment of uh, mental illness, or can I just say the underwriting of mental illness, yeah. were actually pu uh, published in cover on the, um, I did look these up, so you have to excuse me, on the 28th of November last yeah. year, so 1919, and the 17th yeah. of December 1919, by Hang on, 19, 2019 Sorry. or 2020? 20, I do apologise. It's okay. Everybody. I said so, before, we've lost this last year, haven't we? It feels <laughs> like it's not. I could absolutely, absolutely. I can see a questionnaire coming my way. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, were, they were penned by a very good friend of mine called Peter Maynard, yeah. um, who actually, um, he writes underwriting manuals. Right. Um, so he's not a reassurer he's an independent consultant but they are absolutely superb and uh, i would recommend that everybody spends five minutes on each article yeah. and uh, they are very very insightful so thank you for that catherine no of course thank you and thank you for bringing that to everybody's attention i think that's that's brilliant so fantastic i think this has been a really great first underwriting episode with us um with you matt so thank you thank so much you. for coming on um I'm going to be back in two weeks um, chatting with Roy McLaughlin and Andrew Montlake. Um, we're going to be chatting about mortgages and protection mix. And Matt, you are going to be joining me two weeks after, so a month's time. And we'll be chatting about a new underwriting risk area. So if you'd like um, a reminder of the next episode, please do drop a message on social media or visit the website www.practical-protection.co.uk. And please do uh, remember that if you have listened and it's part of your work, you can contact and claim a CPD certificate on the website too. It just takes us a couple of days to, um, to get them over to you. But if you bear with us, we will get them printed and over to you. So thank you so much for joining me, Matt. It's a pleasure and uh, look forward to the next one. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.